Hello, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint. I want to welcome you to this next installment. This is our second installment in a series we've entitled David, a man after God's own heart. We're going to be spending about a month and a half looking at different episodes from the life of David and finding out why scripture claims uh, this about David, that he was a man after God's own heart. What made him so special? Today, we're going to look at one dimension of that, and that was the fact that David was a man of integrity. And there's probably no place that that shows up better than in an encounter that he had with uh, King Saul, the first king of Israel. David was the second king. So inside your bulletin, you will find an outline today entitled David and Saul with the issue of integrity. And there are a number of blanks that you'll want to fill in as you go along. So if you didn't grab a pen on your way in, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will be glad to pass a pen to you uh, so you can fill in the blanks and we can keep going. But I'd like to have a word of prayer and ask God to bless our time together because integrity matters to us. And before I pray, I just want to, I mean, you know, I don't want to buy a car from somebody who lacks integrity. I don't want to leave my kids with a babysitter who lacks integrity. I certainly don't want to eat a hot dog prepared by a butcher who lacks integrity. Anybody understand that? Okay, so integrity matters. It matters in the life of the people I deal with, and it matters in my life because others want to deal with me on an honest basis. God wants us to be people of integrity like David. David was, and that's one of the reasons he was a man after God's own heart. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the life of David. I want to thank you that he was a man of integrity. He could have compromised in many ways, but he did not. And I'm grateful. Father, I just pray that you will bless uh, the opportunity that we have to learn from his example, to learn from the example of Saul as well. And Father, I pray that you will uh, use your word to instruct us in how we need to live. Please speak and move me out of the way. Teach us what you want us to know about being people of integrity from the life of David. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Point one on your outline simply kind of summarizes where we are in this series. When Saul, Israel's first king, failed to obey the Lord, then God replaced him with David. If you weren't here with us last week, we talked about probably the most famous story in David's life of how he killed the Philistine giant, Goliath, with a sling and a stone. Saul was the king of Israel, was the tallest and the strongest, the most outstanding man, and had failed to live up to the challenge. David, a little shepherd boy, had gone to meet the giant, although Saul was the king and should have led his men in battle. And we'll get more on that in a little bit. But Saul had compromised his leadership because he had failed to obey the Lord. When the Lord gave him clear instructions, Saul would follow through partway, but not the whole way. He always kind of twisted things to his own benefit. That's why we find God saying something very interesting and very sad about Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 11. The Lord told Samuel, his prophet, this. He said, I'm grieved that I made Saul king because he's turned away from me. He's not carried out my instructions. And God was grieved. Israel had asked for a king, and Saul started out okay when he was humble and didn't think he amounted to much. But with every victory the Lord gave him, the pride went to his head, or the success went to his head, and he became very prideful. Acts 13, 21 and 22 kind of summarize what happened with Saul's career. The people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, who reigned for 40 years, but God removed Saul, and he replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I found, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, for he will do everything I want him to do. And if you'd underline, he will do everything I want him to do. And that was the big difference between David and Saul. Saul would do things 
God's way, if it benefited him, but if it didn't, that's where he got off the track. And there's a life application for you and me in this. God wants our obedience, not just religious performance. God wants our obedience, not religious performance. Saul didn't understand this. There was a time when uh, that illustrates Saul's uh, unwillingness to trust God completely and follow through completely when he was given clear instructions to destroy some guerrilla terrorists is the best way to describe them, the Amalekites, raiders who would come in and attack a village, rape and pillage and plunder and murder. They'd attack the Israelites when they'd come up from the promised land. And God had promised then when that had happened, there would be one day a day of reckoning. And during Saul's leadership, tenure as king of Israel, the assignment fell to him to go and deal with the Amalekites and punish them. He was to wipe them out, to destroy them, and not to take any of the plunder because the plunder was blood money. It had been stolen from others, and God said, I don't want you to keep any of it. But Saul allowed his men to keep a lot of the best of the cattle and the livestock, and he brought back the king, the leader of these Amalekites, a man by the name of Agag, brought him back. He wanted to show him off. Saul was building a monument to himself and he wanted to let everybody know what a great victory was. Kings in those days, if you conquered another king's army, you would put a ring through the king's nose and put a rope in it and parade him through the streets showing that you were stronger than he was. Of course, God was the one who had given him the victory. It wasn't about uplifting Saul, but Saul wanted to make it about himself. So the prophet Samuel is having a conversation with him. This is in your outline here from 1 Samuel 15. He's confronting Saul about his lack of obedience and his desire to bring the king back along with a lot of the plunder. And here's what he said. This is Samuel speaking to Saul on God's behalf. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. Well, I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. And then my troops, well, they were the ones who brought in the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he's rejected you as king. Saul was to be the leader of God's chosen people. God had chosen him and anointed him, given him specific instructions. He knew exactly what to do, but he wouldn't follow through unless it benefited him. And God couldn't trust him, was grieved he'd ever been made king. What the Lord wants is our obedience, not religious performance. I mean, Saul somehow forgot what the sacrifice was all about. It was a ritual transaction between the people of God and God himself to show true repentance for their sins and true submission to his will, to sacrifice animals who would die in their place, to sacrifice the way God had commanded them, exactly as he had commanded them. And now Saul had turned it into a show of piety and of some sort of religious observance that would make him even look better in front of the people. He allowed his troops to bring home the animals that were forbidden, and that would curry favor with the troops. He brought back the king so he could show him off, and that would curry favor with the people. He was even building a monument to himself. 
And Samuel said, you're not getting this, are you, Saul? I mean, you're going to offer all these animals that were to be destroyed because you think God's a meat lover? He He likes lots of meat? And the sacrifice is to show, is to give a demonstration of how we submit and trust him, that we have a right relationship with the creator God who made us all. And Saul forgot it. Or maybe he never understood it. It'd be like you or me, knowing what God had commanded us to do, disobeying it willfully all week long, and then showing up in church and singing a few praise songs. Knowing it was wrong, knowing that we're in the wrong. Refusing to forgive somebody even though we knew it was the right thing to do. Refusing to help somebody even though we should have helped them. Refusing to apologize when we're wrong. That kind of thing. And then singing a few praise songs and somebody confronting us. Well, hey, don't you find that trouble going to church? No, I mean, I just sing those songs because I guess God likes them. Mm -mm. God wants us to worship him with glad and sincere hearts. Fully trusting in him. So God wants our obedience, not just religious performance. And as you'll see, as the story continues, David was was that kind of guy. Saul was not. That brings us to point two. The Lord began to bless David, and Saul became insanely jealous of him and eventually sought to kill him. I mentioned a minute ago that David had defeated a giant a champion of the Philistine army. The Philistines and the Israelites had been fighting over the promised land. Who was going to own it? God had given a great, and who was going to possess it? God had given a great victory because David had killed their champion Goliath with a sling and a stone. The Israelites had chased after them and driven them out of a lot of territory. And uh, when that battle was over, much to Saul's dismay, people saw that the hand of God was with David much more than the hand of God was with him. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 18, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, Goliath. Women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals, and this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. This made Saul very angry. You think? Yeah. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next they'll be making him their king. And so from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Where that dot, dot, dot is, we find out in the rest of that chapter that Saul did his best to make sure that David didn't live long. He didn't want anybody praising him. He wanted applause for himself. David was still just a young boy, but Saul sent him out with companies of soldiers into battle, hoping the Philistines would kill him. But every time he sent him out, David would win victory after victory, and soon they piled up, and David became a hero among all the troops. Saul didn't know what to do. And then he found out one of his daughters was in love with David, and he thought, man, I'm going to use that to my advantage. He had his soldiers, he had his generals tell, him, tell David, David, you know, King Saul's daughter loves you, and she thinks you're great, and um, Saul would love it if you could marry her and that would be great if you'd be part of the family and David said look I'm just a shepherd boy I'm nobody I can't even afford a dowry to be a the son-in-law of the king and and so Saul heard about that and he said well here's all I want for a dowry I want a hundred Philistine scalps and he thought well you know if David goes out and tries to do this he'll get killed trying to collect all that well David came back with 200 and it says 
in that scripture here that when Saul realized the Lord was David, he became even more afraid and he remained David's enemy the rest of his life. The Lord was no longer with Saul. Saul wouldn't obey. Now he's with David. David would. And so Saul became insanely jealous, looking for every opportunity to do him harm. I want to give us a warning right here. Jealousy is a gateway sin. Sometimes we think, well, if somebody's jealous of someone, well, they really shouldn't do that, but it's not that big a deal. But jealousy is a gateway sin that opens us up to many other sins and evil desires. James talks about this in James 3.16. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. You want to open up your heart to things that you thought you would never do? Just allow jealousy to fester for a while. That should have been my promotion. How come everybody else is getting recognition, not me? How come they have that nice house and I don't? I mean, you could go on and on and on. And if we start comparing ourselves with others and demanding that we deserve more than the other person, it can start with a jealous attitude and we're kind of angry this person has some stuff and that can turn into bitterness. And bitterness can turn into words that are said behind their back and actions done to them. And there have been people who have killed over jealousy. And Saul became one of those people. And I would warn us now, if we're flirting with jealousy or we're tumbling things over in our mind and we're holding a jealous attitude towards someone else, there's a strong warning in Scripture. Get away from that because that's a gateway sin that can open your heart and mind to unimaginable evil. Things we never thought we'd do. Well, it drove Saul mad. David piled up success after success, and finally Saul decided, look, I have to kill him. So he went after him. David fled, became a fugitive. There were others that the king was disenchanted with. Some people owed money. Some people felt like they hadn't been given a fair shake by the government or by the judicial system. They joined up with David, a couple hundred of them, and so David became kind of like a Robin Hood with a bunch of merry men. And on the western side of the Dead Sea, um, they found a place where there was a lot of caves and some limestone cliffs next to a place called En Gedi. I've been to the Promised Land, the Holy Land, one time in, in Israel, and I've seen this area, and it looks, some of these cliffs look like honeycombs. There's caves all over the place. Some of them are huge enough you could put a thousand people in them. There's a natural spring there, too. There's a source of water, and so David and his men were hiding out there in En Gedi, trying to stay away from Saul, and Saul went after them. And this is from 1 Samuel chapter 24. Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfold, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. That's exactly what the Bible says. Yes, people went to the bathroom in that time too. That's true. Saul got off the interstate. There was no rest area, so he found a cave. Okay, that's what happened. So he went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, now listen to this, as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. I mean, David's men can't believe this. They're hiding from Saul. Saul has turned into a murderous, jealous, crazy guy. Hunting after David, the guy who killed Goliath, his own son-in-law, who'd won victory after victory for the nation of Israel. And so they came up to David and they said this, now's your opportunity. David's men whispered to him, today the Lord is telling you, 
I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and he cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he'd cut Saul's robe. Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my lord the king, he said to his men. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my lord the king and attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and didn't let them kill Saul. You flip the page over. There's a life application in this part of the story for us too. You and I must never sacrifice our integrity for success. Or you could put in, in order to get in head, or in order to get ahead. I mean, David's men were telling him, David, what are the chances? I mean, there's a, a gazillion caves around here. Saul picks this one to go to the bathroom. We're here. We're all here. We'll help you. Let's kill him now. This guy's crazy. He's after you, David. But David wouldn't do it. Because David knew that God was the one who had anointed Saul to be king. God had appointed him to that office. David had also been anointed king by the same prophet, by Samuel. And David knew that if he treated lightly the anointing of Saul, then someone could easily do the same thing for him later on. It wasn't right. On top of that, what honor is there? There's a guy in a cave going to the bathroom so you sneak up behind him and kill him? And how do you tell that to your grandkids one day? Bounce them on the knee. Hey, Grandpa, tell us again how you became king. Well, um, you know, the guy who was king before me, Saul, he was going to the bathroom one day, and so I snuck up behind him and I stabbed him in the back. Wow, you must be brave, Grandpa. Is that what's going to happen to you one day, Grandpa? Is somebody going to sneak up behind you and stab you in the back when you're going to the bathroom? Probably so. And David wasn't going to set a precedent like that. He was a man of integrity. There was no honor. That would just be murder. Saul was murderous and crazy. And Saul wasn't going to, I mean, David wasn't going to join him and become like him. And all too often, you and I can compromise our convictions just because the circumstances would allow us to do so. Here's what integrity means. It means incorruptibility. It means a firm adherence to a code of moral values. It means honesty, being the same person 24-7. I could have put doing the right thing even when it hurts. And that was David. David wrote these words in Psalm 101. I'll be careful to live a blameless life. I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I'll refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I'll have nothing to do with them. I will reject perverse ideas and stay away from every evil. I will search for faithful people to be my companions. Only those who are above reproach will be allowed to serve me. That's David. Here's David praying in 1 Chronicles 29, 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. And as I said before, David didn't want to set a precedent. Galatians 6, 7 reminds us of this. Don't be misled. You can't mock the justice of God. You'll always harvest what you plant. I mean, think if David had modeled for his men, here's how the change of command happens in Israel. When somebody falls out of favor, you sneak up behind him and kill him when they're not looking. What's to keep them from doing that 20 years from now? Nothing. 
To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity, you show integrity. David prayed that. And let me give you one more reference. I didn't have room for all of them. In the margin, if you write Psalm 25, 21, here's what David said. He said, may integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. David was anointed king. He was going to be king after Saul, and he knew that. But David didn't listen to the advice of his friends, even if they were well-meaning. They said, well, David, you're going to be king anyway. I mean, God must have put him here in front of you. Just hurry it along a little bit. And David wasn't going to compromise his integrity, even though it would have benefited him greatly. And maybe nobody would have blamed him. He wanted to do the right thing every time. There's a note here that I want to bring out also. If there's a price at which we will compromise our integrity, the devil will pay it. Saul had a prize and David didn't. There's a story told of a young woman and her husband who had fallen on hard financial times. They'd been married a few years and had a child who was born with problems, was sickly, and the medical bills piled up. Insurance didn't keep up. Her husband lost his job and had to get a job that was paying far less. And so debts kept growing and income kept going down. Pretty soon they were five or $10,000 behind and there was no way out. The woman, the young woman happened to work for a very wealthy man, was an administrative assistant to him and worked for him. And she was very pretty. And to her disgust, he often came around and would whisper in her ear about how much he'd love to get her away for a weekend. And she didn't complain because she needed the job. So one day when things looked particularly gloomy and she was desperate, she stayed after work, went to her boss's office, closed the door and said, okay, look, my husband and I are in deep financial trouble and I need your help. Here's what I'm willing to do. You've been after me for a while. And if you'll agree that no one ever hears, and this will be a one-time event, one time only, I'll go away with you for the weekend for $10,000. Her boss was a pretty shrewd man. He said, so let me get this straight. You're telling me that you and I can go away for a weekend as long as no one knows about it, one time only, and you want me to pay you $10,000. She goes, that's right. He goes, how about $1,000? She goes, what kind of woman do you think I am? He said, oh, we've determined what kind of woman you are already. Now we're just haggling over the price. If you and I have a price, the devil will pay it. What was Saul's price? Recognition of people. When he was insecure and afraid, he was glad to trust the Lord. Once he had a few successes under his belt, his head began to swell, and he wanted the praise of people much more than he wanted to please God. David was a man after God's own heart. Saul was a man after the praise of people. What about you and me? What's our price? Will I do the right thing? Because it's the right thing to do, will I do the right thing? Because I trust the Lord? 
I mean, it's important that we talk about this. These stories are in the Bible to challenge us and to sharpen us and to get us to focus on the right things because the truth is decisions about integrity are made before temptation strikes. I mean, decisions that involve our integrity need to be made now. Whether or not I'm going to cheat on my income taxes, I don't need to wait till April 14th at midnight. Agreed? Hey, if I'm going to compromise, I need to make up my mind. If I'm going to avoid compromise, I need to make up my mind now. You and I can make up our mind right now if we're going to be honest in our business dealings this week. And we can pray for that and say, God, I want to be honest in everything I do. And David knew that. And he'd made that decision a long time before the cave. And you and I can make that decision today too. And this is why we come to God and we say, God, will you please help me? The good news is, this is, this is the great news that we have through a relationship with Christ. Christ not only died on the cross to forgive us our sins and pay the penalty for those sins, Christ said that I will send the Holy Spirit to you and he will be in you. He'll change you from the inside out. He'll make you brand new people. He'll give you the desire to follow the Lord and the power to do it. I heard one amen. That is just way too little. Okay, let's try that again. Look, he will give us the desire to follow him and the power to do it. I mean, I want to be like David. I want to be a person of integrity, a person who does the right thing every time, not just when it suits me. I don't want to get off track. I mean, we hear about Saul giving up his convictions for the applause of people. We've met people like that, and they go, yeah, they're just smoozers. They just they do whatever's popular. Nobody respects that. Well, I don't want people to think of me that way. Neither do you. And that's why God has allowed us to have these stories. We dare not forget them. Because if there's a price at which we'll compromise our integrity, the devil will pay it. And if I look at our culture right now, it's sad to tell you, I think the devil can get things pretty cheap. So Saul went after David, insane with jealousy, murderous. 3,000 green berets, they're trying to hunt him down and kill him. Goes into the cave to use the bathroom. David spares his life. Here's the rest of the story. David repaid Saul with kindness and respect. David didn't fight back with anger and murder of his own. He showed him kindness and respect. 1 Samuel 24 again. After Saul left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord, the king! And Saul looked around, and David bowed low before him. And then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own hands it isn't true. For the Lord blessed you. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He's the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, what I have in my hand, it's a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. And this proves that I'm not trying to harm you, that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. May the Lord, therefore, judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate, and he will rescue me from your power. Please underline, he is my advocate and he will rescue me, rescue me from your power. 
I mean, this is the choice we have to make in situations like this when we'll sacrifice our integrity for revenge or to get even or to get ahead. Our culture says, hey, you look out for yourself. No one else is looking out for number one. You better do it. And the Lord says, you serve me and I'll look out for you. If you serve me, you place me first, I'll take care of everything else that you need. I'll look out for you. That was a bunch of amens. That was really good. I like that. He is my advocate. He will rescue me from your power. Now, when David had finished speaking, Saul called back, you're a better man than I am. For you have repaid good for evil. Yes, you've been amazingly kind to me today. For when the Lord put, when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you've shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king, that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. There's a life application for you and me in the way David treated Saul. And that's this. You and I must let God settle the score with those who've hurt us in his time. It was years later when Saul finally died. But David was patient and he trusted that his integrity and honesty would protect him because he put his hope in the Lord. Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 12 and was writing to Christians in Rome about how they were to handle with people who treated them wrongly. Were you supposed to get revenge? What were you supposed to do? And here's what he said. Dear friends, never take revenge. Never. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. And so you and I have to have faith in God the same way David had faith in God. Remember what David had said? He is my advocate. He will rescue me. Will you and I have real faith like that or just surface faith that we sing about on Sundays? Will we trust God to really handle the battles? Scriptures say, I'll take revenge. I'll pay him back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, then feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. I mean, the whole point here is this. I mean, you can imagine Saul walking out of the cave, putting his sword back on. He's about to get on his horse, and all of a sudden he notices everybody has turned around and looking at somebody behind him. And he turns around, and there's David standing with a piece of cloth, part of his robe. Saul, I've got a part of your robe in my hand. I could have killed you. Why do you listen to people who say that I'm trying to kill you? I'm not. I'm your son-in-law. I've never sought out to harm you. You might be trying to kill me, but I'm not going to kill you. God anointed you. And it's, God, it's God's business to replace you. I will trust in him. He will protect me. And do you understand what a risk David took when he walked out of that cave? 3,000 of Saul's troops were there. There was Saul. Saul could have come and killed him right then. But because he had shown Saul kindness and respect in front of all of his men, in front of all of his generals, who knew who David was too, by the way, he would have been mortified with shame. He had told his men that David was dishonorable and a scoundrel and somebody who needed to die. And here's David walking out with a piece of his robe. And every single man knew that that was all a lie. Saul had come in with jealousy and murder and David had come out 
with kindness and respect. And Saul goes, well, you're a better man than I am. Wouldn't it be wonderful if those people who've hurt us, if their consciences would be softened and turned so they would apologize for what they'd done? What if I don't have to go around hanging on to anger and bitterness for things that were done to me five years and ten years ago? I mean, some of us do that. We were deeply wronged. And the Bible doesn't say, hey, just pretend it never happened. Just sweep it under the rug. Don't think about it and just kind of pretend it'll all work out. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, let me handle it. The Lord says, let me handle it. If there's any score to be settled, I'll settle it. Trust me. And that way you don't need to bring up that thing that happened five years ago, that thing that that person said to you last week, and now I'm taking it with me every day this week. And even if it's a beautiful day and everything's going right, the minute I start thinking about what was done wrong to me, now it becomes dark and gray and a horrible day. But I got to hang on to my right to revenge because if I don't get revenge, then nobody else will. The Lord says, I will. I'll settle the score. You show kindness and respect. You'll see. Trust me in this. David did. And God honored him. Paul said that he'll do that for us too. It's like heaping burning coals on the head of the person who's offended us. Because even though they've done us so, treated us so poorly and done us so wrong, we're treating them with love and kindness. So today I'd like to pray for us about a couple of things. One is that we would not toy around with jealousy. It's not a small sin. It's a gateway sin that can lead us to great evil. Secondly, I'd like for us to surrender every part of our lives to God. Our sins, our fears, even our hurts. So that God can deal with them. Thirdly, I'd just like to pray that um, we'd be people of integrity all the time, like David. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just want to um, be a person of integrity. I don't want to do things that are in accordance with your will when it suits me and then not when it doesn't. I don't want to be a partial Christian and a partially right person. I want to be a person after your own heart. Oh, Lord, forgive us for our jealousies. It's easy to compare ourselves and to be angry that somebody else got a promotion or that somebody else is getting more publicity or that somebody else is prettier or that somebody else is more successful or drives a better car. And God, forgive us. If we harbor those thoughts in our minds, then sin is not far away. If you have harbored jealousy in your heart, would you confess it right now and say, God, forgive me. Thank you for all that you've blessed me with already. Forgive me for comparing myself with everybody else all the time. Help me to be whom you made me to be. Oh God, we live in a world that is filled with sin and harmful things and there have been many people who have hurt us and said things about us and God it's easy for us to turn bitter toward them and to hang on to the desire for revenge 
but it poisons us a little more every day. If there's someone you need to forgive, if there's something you need to let go of, would you surrender right now and say, oh God, I surrender this to you. You saw what was done. You heard what was said. You know what happened. But God, I don't want to hang on to this anymore. It's, it's poisoning every day. I'm becoming a bitter and moody person and I don't like it. I want to be filled with joy, Lord. I want to be freed up so I can be joyfully obedient every day to you. And while we're praying about that, would you pray for somebody else who's just eaten up with bitterness right now? Might be a neighbor, a sister, a brother, a coworker. Somebody's just bitter and angry over a divorce or a business deal gone bad or a lost opportunity. Would you pray for them right now? Say, oh God, would you please give them grace? Would you please show them how to let go of this because it's killing them? Finally, Father, I just pray that you would make us men and women of integrity. I pray, Lord, you would strengthen our convictions now, in the middle of the day. Father, you'd keep us away from filthy things on the Internet. You'd keep us away from shady business deals. you keep us far from procrastination and gossip. Things that we hate and we deplore in ourselves when we do them. God, give us the desire to do what's right and the strength to follow through this week. Free us for joyful obedience. We commit ourselves wholly and completely to you. Show us what's wrong. Teach us to do what's right. We pray these things in the marvelous name of Jesus, the one who sacrificed everything to save us, gave up his life to set us free. In the strong name of Christ who rose from the dead and is coming back soon, we pray these things.